Hello and welcome to FML Fund My Life, a podcast brought to you by My Wall Street. We've something very exciting to announce. It's your last chance to grab tickets for tonight's first ever Stock Club live event. This is going to be a great night in which Emmett, Rory, Anne-Marie and Mike are going to be looking back on what has been a brutal year for the stock market, as well as looking ahead to 2023 with some bold and predictably foolish predictions. So, if you'd like to come, it's taking place in Herbert Park Hotel in Ballsbridge in Dublin tonight. Tickets are extremely limited now as it's just hours away with just a few left. And they're available through the link in the description at a price of €20 each, which also includes a couple of free drinks at the bar. So, Amory, are you excited for the event tonight? Yeah, I think it should be good. We did um, a live event for Horizon members uh, last month, two months ago. And it was actually, I think mm-hmm. everyone kind of really liked it because it gave everyone an opportunity to meet other investors. I think sometimes people get a bit nervous when they're going out on their own and, you know, they see Emmett kind of through the screen and all, but um, there was something very comforting about having like a bunch of other investors in the room and everyone was going, yeah, this year was terrible, wasn't it? You know, there was just kind of a, yeah, a nice of camaraderie in that. And I think people really enjoyed it. And um, yeah, I think, I think it will be good. I think it's, it's always good to um, end of year shows are always fun because we get to hear Emmett's absolutely outlandish prediction for the following year, followed by a much more moderate and measured and considerate pick. But it's, um, yeah, it's always fun. Looking forward to it, I guess. Might give us a few ideas for FML in the future for events. So we're going to get back to FML now and what the title of this episode is. It's called Investor Chat, where we're going to be answering some general questions, but also touch on some important topics because of how the market is doing right now. So stick around to hear our thoughts on what is happening right now in the stock market, why now is the best time for young people to start investing, building generational wealth, and why women need to be represented in the finance world to promote inclusivity. So as I said, the stock market is doing bad right now. The S&P 500 is down majorly at the time of recording. So can you tell us a little bit about what is happening, Amory? Yeah, I think like some of it is, is, is pretty normal. We're kind of going through a bit of a correction because we had a really sharp increase during the pandemic. We've discussed this before, but when people were kind of mm. sitting around at home, not with anything, without anything to do, and were continuing to make their regular income, you know, if they were fortunate enough to not be laid off, it meant that people were looking for places to put money. And that put a lot of money into the stock market, a lot of money into like speculative companies, into like high growth stocks, which is what we're interested in. But it also meant that these stocks were pushed really, really high. So some of this is completely normal and admittedly like something that we would like to see because you know it's it can be really difficult sometimes to distinguish signal from the noise when everybody is really excited and pouring into the market because it just i don't know when there's so much hype and excitement it's sometimes really difficult to get back to fundamentals and and, and focus on what you should be when it comes to investing um but also kind of beyond mm-hmm. that there there's a challenging macroeconomic environment right now you know people are, are frightened of a recession we're seeing layoffs in tech and so it is common that in environments like this, you know, people want more cash. It's just kind of a, a good idea. You yeah. know, sometimes people are going, oh, maybe I don't have enough money in savings. And so they are pulling their money out of the market. And so that obviously is going to punish stock prices. Um, and, and I'd say mm-hmm. that we'll probably continue to see that trend for a while. I saw an interesting stat the other day that um, savings accounts have taken a pretty good hit the last six months in the United States and credit card debt is at an all-time high. So I would say we might continue to see a little bit of, of money continuing to cycle out of the market. Um, 
I would also say that um, when it comes to kind of the stocks that we like to talk about, as I mentioned previously, growth stocks, um, they've been hit because people, the people who are leaving money in the market tend to be moving it into kind of more conservative things. So um, we're seeing people move money into commodities, which would be things like gold and silver. Oil has seen a significant rise during the year. And then like some old world yeah. stocks have held, held pretty firm this year, which I think is just from people kind of doubling down on them. So that's things like tried and tested brands like Coca-Cola or Home Depot, basically like anything that doesn't have any kind of tech exposure. And then traditional brick and mortar retailers, which, you know, are probably specializing in like food, you know, bare essentials, things that people are going to need, regardless of what the economy is doing. Um, so, th- you know, that's another factor. And um, I suppose it is worth mentioning, you know, when we talk about the S&P 500, I think sometimes people think like, oh, that's the entirety of the market. You know, if we say, oh, the S&P is down 15 yeah. percent, people are going, well, man, everything must be down. But it is kind of just worth mentioning as a clarity point that when it comes to the S&P, a disproportionate amount of it is made up by the five biggest tech companies, which is Apple, Amazon, Microsoft, Meta, and Google. They, they make up like 20% of the index, which is crazy. Like that's that's a huge amount, which means they have a pretty significant amount of influence on the on the overall market. Well, not the overall market, this index in particular, the S&P 500. And um, three of those five, you know, um, Meta, Google, and, and Amazon have kind of been struggling the last couple of months, if not a year. Um, Obviously, Google and Meta have been absolutely hammered by changes in advertising rules. And then Amazon is being impacted by, you know, consumers becoming a bit more cost conscious. They're maybe not spending as much, which impacts them. Um, but, you know, I guess like it's a good metaphor for the market overall because Apple and Microsoft have done pretty, pretty stable this year. You know, they're sitting kind of flat year over year. So, um, yeah, it's a reminder about, I suppose, the importance of, uh, of diversity. But I don't think people need to be running for the hills and, and calling time on investing anytime soon. So that's good. Yeah. So on to more positive things. Why do young people need to invest at all? Like, Yeah, I mean, I suppose it's a good time to, to kind of check back in with this. I would say that, you know, if people are, are scared, maybe they're going to lose their job. If people, you know, are seeing the market fall, it's definitely if you're like in the first five years of investing, I would say you're probably pretty scared. And so it can be a, a good time to maybe go back and check in with the basics and be like, why are we doing this in the first place? And so I would say number one, and probably I think it's on everybody's mind right now is like just the rate of inflation. Like inflation is really bad this year, but inflation mm-hmm. is something that's ticking away all the time. You know, we don't talk about it as much when it's only two or 3%, you know, it's kind of just in the back of our minds. It's not really something that we consider, but you know, just like compound interest inflation as it gradually increases over time like really does take a bite out of your savings so you know if you're thinking about Mm -hmm. any kind of long-term goal you know your mortgage down payment or your retirement like it is worth considering how much you're going to lose simply based upon inflation so you know that's kind of i suppose step one for investing you know if you can invest and, and beat inflation you're doing pretty well that's pretty challenging this year with inflation so high but it's certainly a worthy goal and then um probably when it comes to young people you know it's that 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 the idea of time like if you're in your 20s you have so much time if, if you're planning for a long-term goal like retirement is a is a ways away it could be 40 years away and truthfully mm-hmm. like every investor you talk to like anyone like from a professional investor to a novice investor to people who are you know just relying upon m- maybe a financial planner someone who, who invests passively the number one thing all of those people are going to say is that like time is the most valuable thing when it comes to investing so if you're a young person you've got lots of that on definitely. your side and you should definitely take that into consideration um and maybe just like one for right now, like maybe why should you continue to invest right now or why should maybe you start investing or start consider investing right now is that a lot of companies are on sale. Like companies that we absolutely love at My Wall Street or companies that Emmett loves in Horizon, like 
they have sometimes had huge haircuts, like 60 or 70 percent. And, you know, while that can be really shocking to investors, it does sometimes give us an opportunity to go back into these companies that we've pitched and recheck in and say, right, okay, when things get difficult, is this company still well positioned? You know, is our thesis still hold firm? Do we still love this management team? And that actually does mean that it's a really great time to kind of separate the cream, if you will. You know, really great businesses are going to stand out in an environment like this and their ability to be measured and conservative and thoughtful. And so we've definitely mm. begun to see that already so far in the last couple of quarters. And so it's almost like, you know, if you were kind of on the fence and considering investing, maybe check back in with some of those companies on your watch list because you might feel more and more comfortable with them going, hey, they've gone through three or four quarters of pretty difficult conditions and they're still looking okay, or I still love their management team, or I still think this long-term trend is going to pull through and they're going to be the company to benefit. So um, yeah, I think it's, it's, it would be a nice time maybe to start an initial position in something you've maybe been watching out for or mm. watching for a period of time. Um, and then like maybe finally it's just like, why should you invest as an individual? You know, like, why should you create your own shortlist? Like, why should you pick out your own companies? It really is the idea of like typical pensions in Ireland, in the UK, like even in the United States where, um, you know, you'd be more looking at like a, an old school managed fund through, you know, your IRA. Um, you tend to not get like the same returns as you would kind of doing, doing things yourself. And so, you know, I think if you're, if you're shy at the minute, if you're going, well, why would I, you know, want to seek out an ETF or why would I want to seek out individual stocks? You know, it's, um, it's, it's worth remembering S&P 500 does, does pretty well. And sometimes you cannot access the returns of an S&P 500 through a traditional pension. So, you know, it's, it's, it's worthwhile kind of, kind of going it out on your own. So, yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So we've kind of discussed why you should invest, but, and like why you should invest right now, but can you kind of explain a popular phrase that's being thrown around right now is that this is the time to, you know, build generational wealth. I've heard like Emmett say and a few other experienced investors. But what do you think that means? Like to you, what is generational wealth? Yeah, in, in my view, like generational wealth is that which you can like comfortably pass down to your, your children and grandchildren. Um, and I'd say for most mm -hmm. people working a standard job, like you most definitely, like we most definitely do not generate enough money and which like we could pass down money for two generations. You know, that's a, that's a hard ask because like we have to live um, mm. until we're 80 and then you know, think of all the things you know, you got to buy a house, yeah. like you got expenses, you know? Um, and so that really is kind of only, only something that you can get by investing and, and, and by, you know, mm. using compounding and, and, and investing responsibly and, and in a diversified way. Just to kind of reiterate, I would say like the only way for normal people like us working normal jobs to get to the point where you have enough capital to pass it down for two generations is through, you know, compounding, is, is through the market, is through investing, mm -hmm. is through, you know, responsible investing. <laughs> let's, let's say that. Um, and I think, you know, if we take it back to, to, to 2008, you know, that was kind of the great last recession that we all really remember. Um, and it was very horrible for investors, you know, people who are already invested and people did suffer. But in the wake of 2008, people who are fortunate enough to have a little bit of um, capital, they began investing. And um, between 2008 and now, the number of millionaires in the world increased by 50%. And a lot of those were built on the wow. backs of people who just invested and held on. And, you know, use 2008 as an opportunity to go, okay, what companies are going to be here in 20 years? You know, what companies are going to ride this wave? And so, yeah, I think it's, it's, it's very interesting. I would also say that, like, the, the dot-com bubble in the 90s, early 2000s, is very similar. Mm -hmm. I'd say we, we we're definitely seeing echoes of that at the minute with um, all the crypto exchanges 
blowing up. You know, it's that idea of we all got really excited about this speculative tech and we poured all this money into it and now we're going, wow, we really didn't understand this or that element of it and now we're kind of paying the price. But um, yeah, I, d I definitely think in terms of, of, of crypto, it's going to... It's going to show us what what businesses are worthwhile and which ones are going to are going to survive, um, mm. and so yeah. When Emmett says yeah. like this is the opportunity to build generational wealth, it is. It's it's because it's everything is down. Like take advantage. It's you yeah. know it's time to pick out a few companies mm. you love and and go for it. Yeah, I think it basically means like now is the opportunity, and this like opportunity might not come around in your lifetime because things are so far down. Basically, that's what that's yeah. what I interpret it anyway. Okay, so then moving on to kind of a flashback, um, early FML days when we interviewed um, Yana Haynes from ARK Invest. We asked her um, a question that I think would be cool for us to answer and discuss. Moving kind of slightly on from the market, but onto women investors. Do you think women need to be represented in finance and investing for more of us to get involved in the world of finance and investing? Um, yeah, I think to the first point, I think there needs to be more women in the professional space to get more, uh, just to like normalize maybe everyday women thinking about finance in, in their mm -hmm. lives. Um, it certainly makes it easier. I think finance has a really horrible reputation professionally, um, in the view of women. Like I think a lot of people view it as like quite an abusive sector in which to work. And so I think that that's kind of put people off like having to interact with those businesses at all, um, which is unfortunate yeah. because, you know, as we've discussed in terms of the wealth gap, it's very important to kind of really sit in the driver's seat when it comes to your, your financial future, you know, do your own, do your own research and do your own kind of financial planning. Um, but also I, there's like a secondary point to this that we maybe didn't discuss as much at the time, which is that when we have more women in the professional financial sector, when we have more analysts, um, who are women, it, it genuinely improves our analysis and opens teams eyes to potential investments. Um, we saw that significantly like back in the day with lululemon like lululemon i think was a bit of a, a bit of an ignored company when it initially came onto public markets i think people thought it was a bit ridiculous you know it was quite common to kind of disregard a brand that was focused on women as i don't know it's just like because if like their products aren't targeted at you maybe, like it would be very easy for me to like i don't understand this company whatever i'm not going to look at them like i understand that i guess but um yeah it meant that it was a really great company that people like weren't that interested in until it really began to perform financially. And I think that's a bit of a shame. Um, you know, you, you could have missed out on some great returns, but I also think I have a, a, a good, not a good story, but a, like one that's a good reflection on this, which is, um, a while ago I did an analysis on Build-A-Bear, um, which became yeah. a first look in the app. And then we discussed it over on stock club. And, um, when I did my initial research and everything and, and I kind of had my opinion, um, written down, I, I typically go and I have a look at just like the top couple of analysts or the last couple of analysts to write about it on uh, seeking alpha, which is a tool that we use. Cause I just kind of want to gauge here. Like, is there maybe a point of analysis that I've missed or like what's something that someone else is considering or whatever. And so I went on and, uh, the mm -hmm. first report that I clicked on, um, discussing build a bear, the guy's first point, like his, like the way that these analysts write reports oh, is they yeah. usually have like three or four central bullet points, right? Right, right up the top. And I usually just read those. Yeah. And his number one bullet point right out the gate was Build-A-Bear has a, has a strong, like long-term tailwind because of the overturn of Roe versus Wade in the United States will mean that more people will have children. Oh yeah. 
And I this, could, that was such an ig- ignorant statement. Like, I could not believe that this man had written that down in a formal analysis of a company. Because not only is it statistically incorrect, like, making abortion illegal does not reduce abortions in any in any sense of the way, but, like... That's like, true, yeah. So detached from reality that you think, oh, if people are forced to have children, the first place they're going to bring them is Build-A-Bear Workshop. Like, I just could not believe that that he had that like his brain had led him to think that that was an acceptable thing to write down or even that it was like an actual tailwind in any sense of the word and like all i did was when Mm. i read that i was like if he had run this by any woman she would have been like oh bro like you should take that out they'd be like no that like that i don't think that's a tailwind like you should maybe go back and do a bit more research on that or reevaluate that and so Mm -hmm. i was like this is a this is a shame because like if he had like a female colleague or a female friend and he could be like hey like what do you think of this it would have been fixed and that would have been the end of it and so it just reminded me i was like jesus we might need to get a few more women <laughs> writing these writing these analysis reports yeah and like even if it was statistically true and backed up our research it was such a sensitive time you know to yeah. say something like that because that decision you know obviously was affecting so many women upsetting so many women like you know it's human yeah. rights violation basically um so it was just a crazy thing to put in like a oh this is why you should buy this stock like it's just so like oh we don't really care about anyone's feelings it's all about making money like that i remember when you yeah. told me that i was like even if it was true it should not have been you know put in like that it's just it was yeah as you said a woman would have like definitely checked him that. yeah and then it wouldn't have gotten published yeah. and then like i wouldn't have had to see it with my eyes and been like well <laughs> I, like it just i was just so i was so frustrated but to, to to credit the seeking alpha commentators uh they did there were a fair few people down in the comments of the article being like i don't think that's appropriate like that's not a, like that's not mm-hmm. a serious tell and you need to do more analysis here blah blah, blah. so to be fair like the community yeah. did kind of come together to be like listen man, you can't you can't say this but um yeah i was just shocked that it ever got written down in a, in a formal report mm. yeah but back to the question of kind of like women investing and being put off if the market is doing really bad now like i think that mm. was one of the aims of this podcast is to yeah. you know help women not only to be represented in finance and investing um but also like I just think representation is so important because when I think of what podcasts I listen to, they're all like women-led. They are. That's just because that's who I relate to. So when I think of like my therapist ghosted me, the Sinead Says podcast, you know, there is a reason why we gravitate to people that are, you know, like us. Um, And they're all all Irish actually as well. (laughs) But um, (laughs) yeah, like I I definitely think that because of the big gap in representation it like it's no shock then that like there's less women investors for sure yeah i also think um, like something we discussed when we launched it was just kind of creating a place for people to ask questions where they maybe didn't feel yeah so intimidated where you know you had an instagram or a twitter to send a dm to to be like hey yeah like maybe this is silly but like how do i set up a brokerage account like totally cool send all of those in you know well that's a great lead in to our next session uh, section because it's listener questions. So I put up an Instagram um, question yesterday on our Instagram page. If you, if you don't follow us, it's fun at my fun, my life podcast. So the first one came in from Carl McManus and he asked, um, do we think that Disney has much growth left as an investment opportunity? 
Yeah, this is a pretty great question, pretty apt question um, at the minute because they just had a CEO mm. turnover. That was like a shock, like sh- very shocking. It's very clear to me that Disney's board met in secret over the weekend and voted out their CEO, um, which is quite a radical move to see from kind of an old world company. Um but mm-hmm. just to kind of dig in on Disney as, as an investment, so Disney basically makes money in two ways, which is the entertainment, um, which is the kind of entertainment side of things, which is like TV, movies, streaming, you know, when you think of like Disney as, as, a, as a content house. And then the other side of things is parks, experiences, and products, you know, Disney World, Disneyland, mm-hmm. um, Disney Cruises, absolute nightmare. And then think of all the merchandise <laughs> they sell. So like that's that's those are the two sides of the coin. Um, in terms of profitability, right? So profit, not revenue. They make way more money off the parks and experiences, like just raking in cash. Very very impressive margins over that's on that crazy side of things. To me. Yeah, just I mean I think the cruise ships generate a huge amount of money. Um, so that's kind of where Actually, the I'd say is. the insurance though, the insurance yeah. on the parks and the cruises must be massive. Yeah, but I I heard in the last year to two years that the cost in for Disneyland and Disney World has gone up substantially. Like the, they increased ticket prices quite a lot, um, which we're actually going to talk about in a second mm. here. So, um, <laughs> so that's kind of how they break down. And like the issue is, is that probably for the next year or two, both segments might struggle. Um, and what I mean by that is, yeah. while the parks are back to pre-pandemic levels in terms of revenue and profitability, they are in kind of a much worse macroeconomic environment than we would have seen in 2019, because the main way that they generate revenue growth and profit growth out of the parks is by having incredible pricing power. You know, like, there's only one Disneyland, there's only one, you know, Disney World. Well, there are multiple, but you know what I mean? Like, there's only one company that can make that experience, yeah. and that that's Disney. And that means that you know, if they want to raise ticket prices by 10%, they're going to do that because they most definitely have conducted research that proves that consumers will continue to spend the money. And so that tends to be where they generate growth from is being in that comfortable position. But as we know, and as we've just discussed over the last episode, uh, we seem to be heading into a recession. And so the likelihood of Disney being able to bump up ticket prices or the cost of food or the cost of accommodation by a couple percentage points, the likelihood of that being able to happen is, is lower. And so that might mean that, you know, growth in that segment might go on pause for the next year or two. So that's the unfortunate part there. Mm. And then on the entertainment side of things, they're kind of struggling twofold. So um, they're kind of stuck between a rock and a hard place in the sense that traditional TV revenue, so like ads on their, you know, Disney Channel or, or whatever, is uh, that's suffering because ad revenue kind of across the board is down. But particularly, we're beginning to see um, ad revenue rotate out of traditional TV and head towards, you know, streaming or head back towards uh, social media or something like that. Um, and so that's difficult. You know, you never want to see it, an old reliable revenue stream begin to dry up. But then on top of that, mm-hmm. um, streaming spending over at Disney is just out of control. Like they poured an awful lot of money into building up Disney Plus, which I, I fully understand because, you know, if you're building up a new a new product, a new revenue stream, like that obviously costs money up front. You know, you got to build the platform. You have to produce yeah. the content for it. Like that, I suppose that's fair enough. The hard part is, is now we're in this difficult macroeconomic climate and that huge rush of spending becomes really difficult to justify to um, stockholders. And then you're stuck in this position of of constantly having to be like, yes, we're burning through all this money, but don't worry, it's going to pay off in two years or it's going to pay off in three years. Mm -hmm. And so in Q3, which Disney just finished last week, um, their streaming service operating loss rose by $800 million to $1.5 billion, largely because of rocketing content spending and marketing expenses. As a result, operating income at Disney's mm-hmm. media and entertainment group plunged 91% to $83 million in the quarter. So Jesus. as we can see here, 
they have an awful lot of money going into Disney Plus, which again, I understand, like you have to produce this type of, of high quality content. I would assume here that they might be overspending a bit. I know that they love spectacle. Like I know they love doing the Marvel and the Star Wars TV shows. Those can be really expensive to produce. And so I would maybe like to see them producing some stuff that's a bit cheaper. They have already discussed the fact that they will be cutting mm -hmm. spending to Disney Plus. I just hope that it means that you know, they're spending less on each project rather than cutting projects altogether. You know, I think continuing to produce consistent content is really important on the streaming side of things. Um, and it also kind of impacted our ability to feel comfortable in Disney Plus generating profit. So, you know, Netflix has always been kind of the strong one here because it's had a huge jumpstart on streaming. It's what eight or 10 years ahead of its competition, which means it's at scale now. It knows how to, you know, generate a profit um, off of all of its subscribers. Um, Disney has said, we anticipate Disney Plus to generate profit in 2024. However, on their latest call, um, their now ex-CEO, Bob Chapek, he actually said that we will become profitable in 2024 based upon if consumer behavior remains positive. So basically, Disney said, listen, mm -hmm. If things go according to plan, we should be fine. But they basically said what a lot of businesses are saying right now, which is we don't know if the plan is going to work because we're in a really in unpredictable environment. So that has hurt Disney um, significantly. And then, yeah, they've just had this massive CEO changeover, which I discussed at the top of the segment. So Bob Chapek has been kicked out. He only took the position in 2020. He was kind of heralded as the champion of Disney Plus. He's gone. Um, and we had Bob Iger come back and he retired in 2020. Bob Iger was really important for heralding in like Marvel and Star Wars into the Disney fold. Um, you know, he was really, he was responsible for helping to, to kind of double down on the parks and stuff like that. Um, and so it'll be interesting to see what Iger does. I would expect him to cut spending when it comes to streaming, but you know, then you have to weigh up, is this going to significantly weaken our streaming service, which is about to launch ads, I think at the beginning of next month. So, um, I understand like this, this question, you know, it's difficult to count out Disney as an investment yeah. overall because they own so much IP. Like think of all the famous movies and TV shows that Disney has produced, you know, they continue to own all of that stuff and that stuff is worth money. You know, they can generate new content out of it or sell mm. new products or whatever. But when it comes to growth, which is um, what this listener was asking about. Yeah. Like for maybe the next year, year and a half upwards of two years, I could see Disney having a hard time growing and it's because of this macroeconomic environment and also just the kind of difficult position they find themselves in where they're juggling this new product their old product is falling out of favor and then also you know their kind of star of the show the parks can't really demand more money from their experience until everyday people are a bit more firm in their economic standing so um yeah a bit of a difficult time over at disney but i like you know i think it's not all doom and gloom it's just they're in a <laughs> tough spot and we'll see how they, they figure it out Okay, great. Thanks for that, Amory. That was a really in-depth answer for Carl. Hope you enjoyed. So quickly, we're going to give you a quick girl boss of the week because I think this podcast might be under 30 minutes for the first time ever. Um, so Amory, who is the girl boss of the week this week? Girl boss of the week. This is a very quick one. There's not much analysis here at all which it's just like a like a callback Perfect. to do you remember the nft episode that we that we filmed we did two nft episodes i think this was in yeah. the first one as we all know i have a vendetta against celebrities that mm. keep plugging all these digital assets because i think it should be illegal and it should face some sort of regulatory scrutiny <laughs> um 
But one of the main stories I talked about was the fact that Justin Bieber went on The Tonight Show and he talked about how he had bought a board ape and, the, and Jimmy Fallon from The Tonight Show had also bought a board ape. All these celebrities buying up board apes. And at the time, Justin Bieber paid $1.3 million for his board ape. And this week, it is now valued at $69,000. So that's quite oh a haircut. Oh my gosh. That's a significant yeah. fall. One point, over one point. Jesus. Yeah. Well, you know what? All I have to say for that is Team Selena. That's all I have to say. <laughs> uh, shall okay, we release an NFT next week? No problem. <laughs> exactly. And we'll be buying them all. Okay, so that's a wrap. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, tune back in in two weeks' time. And if you want to follow us on socials, please do. You can find us on Instagram at Fun My Life Podcast, on Twitter at My Wall Street HQ, and on TikTok at My Wall Street, and on our new account dedicated to the podcast at Anne Marie and Nicole FML, which isn't that new anymore. There you go. Uh, and finally, if you are ready to start your investing journey and are looking for resources, check out My Wall Street's Getting Started podcast anywhere you listen to podcasts or download the My Wall Street Learn app. Both will be linked below. If you would like to keep up to date with all the exciting things happening at My Wall Street, make sure to subscribe to our free newsletter. The link to do so is in the description of this episode. Perfect. That's all from us. We hope you enjoyed listening.